0: passing out our lesson, if you'll turn to the 28th chapter of Matthew, we've been uh, going through a series of things which are questioned today and have been questioned over the last couple of centuries, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the blood of Christ, and uh, I don't think we really covered the virgin birth, but the, the uh, blood kind of got into the virgin birth. And today we're going to talk about the resurrection, how that that's a topic disputed. In Matthew chapter 28, in the first verse, we have the account of his resurrection. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to draw toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And as for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. As you you notice this, uh, why was the stone rolled away? To let him out or to let him in? He was gone. It was to show them that he wasn't there. Verse 5, And the angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not. For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall so ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they depart quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. And had run to bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, "All hail!" And they came and beheld him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, "Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into the Galilee, that they go, and there shall they see me." And so, this morning, I want to just talk about some evidences of uh, the resurrection. Some of them are going to be just uh, a common sense thinking, and some of it's going to be uh, from the Bible. And so if you open up uh, and let me read a little bit, and then we'll look at some verses too. In this text above, the one we just read, we have the Gospel of Matthew account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the fact of the resurrection, all Christianity stands. Take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Christianity is nothing. Because of its importance, it's not overstating to say it's the most important event of all history. Though many deny that the resurrection ever occurred, they do so by ignoring convincing and conclusive evidence for it as one of the best attested facts in all of history. We don't even have in this lesson, I think, but, but uh, Corinthians tells us that he was seen by over 500 after his resurrection. And so here's some of the evidence, the evidence of the Christian religion. The fact that there has existed from 33 AD uh, to the present that Christian religion gives evidence to the resurrection Christianity worldwide. Christianity is worldwide in its scope. The message of Christianity is the preaching of the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This message is said to have turned the world upside down in the first century. And that's what Acts 17.6 says. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brothers unto the rulers of the city, crying, These men have turned the world upside down. These men that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And so uh, throughout history, uh, I don't know if you could, there probably volumes of books written about upstart religions that people have started and uh, people have followed. And uh, some of them have caught on, the Mormon religion has caught on, Jehovah's Witnesses has caught on. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, quite a number of years ago now, uh, in eastern Oregon uh, there was a man that came into eastern Oregon, had a good deal of money. He was from India. Uh, He was a Bhagwan. Uh, His name, it was Sri Sri Bhagwan Rajneesh, and they were known as the in in eastern Oregon. And he bought this property right over the line from Wheeler County, where I raised, uh, where I was raised. He, all of his followers wore red. When their worship service, they would go out there and dance and get high on their drugs and start taking their clothes off. And uh, uh, ever redneck Eastern Oregon that lived in Wheeler County uh, bought all the ammunition in town. <laughs> If he stepped over the river and got into Wheeler County, there was going to be war. And uh, he was a big deal. And uh, they actually poisoned the water system in the county seat But trying to, uh, one of the followers tried to run for uh, the county judge position. But uh, very few of you have even heard of that group. (laughs) Religions come and go. But Christianity has been around uh, since Christ and uh, it's not going. And so just the fact that Christianity is, is here and present and is grounded in the resurrection uh, shows that there's some, something to be said of Christ rising from the dead, and then there's the evidence of the uh, Christian day. Uh, as we read this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but it said, "When I, it says, uh, and at the end of the Sabbath, as it as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, and and uh, <clears throat> the." Jewish religion of which Christ was a Jew and Christianity coming out of that not really not really coming out of that and uh, that's in a sense of a new thing but the Old Testament was the preparation. John the Baptist came preparing the way for the Lord and the Bible very specifically says that, He prepared a people for the Lord. And what did he prepare these people for? So Jesus could build his church. And so the Christian day, this religion has Sunday as its day of worship in which they commemorate the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. So today in Lebanon, where our missionary Noah is, Today's a work day. And to even even schedule a time where people can come and worship is a difficult thing because the seventh day was the Sabbath day. But that changed with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For centuries, the Jews worshipped on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, Saturday. Now, this group of Christ followers, who at first were mainly Jews, are worshiping on Sunday, breaking with years of tradition and the tenets of the Jewish religion. What brought about the change of such an important day of the week? They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and week after week, Sunday after Sunday, they met to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and worship him. It would be difficult enough if uh, we, if uh, on uh, this this afternoon, Pastor said uh, we're going to change the midweek service till Thursday. I, I, it wouldn't be that difficult, I guess, for some of us. But there'd be a bit of a knee jerk reaction. But when we find Sunday, it's, it's established in the Old Testament, established in the Word of God. It's it, word to rest on the seventh day. But here we have people celebrating the resurrection and honoring the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday. And that speaks volumes concerning Christ's resurrection. And then we have the evidence of the Christian book. The New Testament Bible has stood the test of time. It had been read, reproduced, studied, and followed more than any other book of history. The reading of it, the preaching and teaching from it were effective, uh, has affected, uh, reading from it has affected, that's not right, uh, more people than any other book of history. And what is the core of the message? That Jesus died for his sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And so, there's power in that message, and uh, it's a message that uh, has not been refuted. The Bible stands, and uh, it, uh, it's superior. A I, number, I uh, maybe two years ago, I was able, I, was, I didn't finish the class, but there was a free class online concerning the Koran, uh, and uh, was it was from a Christian school online. But, you ought to read the Quran a little bit. You can see it is so inferior. It's even inferior to Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> I mean, it's inferior. It is, uh, it, it is, there's nothing supernatural about it. And it's contradictory. And, uh, but the Bible, it's unique, and it's uh, the New Testament particularly testifies to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, and then we'll use some biblical evidence, evidence of prophecy. We know that the death of Jesus is predicted in numerous places in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And different places two of the most prominent being psalms 22 psalms 22 even mentions how he's pierced in his hands and feet and isaiah 53 a tremendous passage of scripture but what about the resurrection is a resurrection ever spoken of in the old testament do we have any any passages well as we say in this lesson If you go to Psalms chapter (coughs) 2. Psalms 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their courts from us. That's the uh, main philosophy in Washington, D.C. He that seteth in heaven shall laugh. We're concerned about inflation. We're concerned about legislation. The word mandate has almost become a curse word, (laughs) but God's being humored in heaven. He that sitteth in heaven shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Our our political uh, leaders are in derision. I, I mean, it used to be pretty, pretty uh, unified that the Democrats were against the Republicans and now the Democrats are against the Democrats <laughs> and they're in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king up on my holy hill of Zion. Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Well, you see in verse 6 that that God says here in Psalms 2 that the fact that the king, a king that's going to be on the earth because the hill of Zion, unlike, unlike the... Uh, Mountains and streams that are found in the Mormon Bible can't be found. They don't know where they're at. The Hill of Zion is there. And he said, "I've, I've set up a king," and that word, you know, set that it's a permanent that that there is going to be a king rule upon this earth, and not just in a spiritual sense. It, And we find that spoken, you know, verified throughout the scripture that the king is coming. That there will be a kingdom established in this world. But it's interesting this verse here, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The word begotten, we usually see it as... uh, Birth of a child. But if you go over to uh, Acts chapter thirteen, we have a direct quote from Psalms two seven. In Acts chapter thirteen and verse thirty-three. Acts thirteen. And verse thirty-three. God hath fulfilled the same unto, their, unto God hath fulfilled the same unto us, the children, and that He hath raised up Jesus again, as is also written in the second Psalm. Thou art my son; this day have I begotten thee. As concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise: "I'll give you the sure mercies of David." And we don't have time to look at all the sermon that was preached there, but he made a, when he quoted here, Psalms chapter two and verse seven, he's saying that that begotten, raised up, is not his birth. But his resurrection, that the resurrection was prophesied, that that Psalms chapter 2 is centuries before uh, Christ came into the world. Yet a resurrection is alluded to. Now, note in Psalm 16 and verse 10. Well, let's begin uh, verse 8. David, under inspiration, writing, I've set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me thy path of life and thy presence in fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so David is understanding and relating in this psalm that uh, there's life after death. And he speaks of himself, but he speaks of another. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And so he speaks of one he calls my, which is himself, but he speaks of someone also called the holy one. And the holy one is not going to even see corruption. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 2, and we have this referenced. I'm simply saying that when people say that the resurrection was a design, plan B because plan A failed and Jesus was killed, that's not true. It's it's predicted in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw I the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. A direct quote from Psalm 16. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And so he saw corruption. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seen this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, the grave. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses." Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth these which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, into the heavens, but he said, "The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstools." Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so we're simply saying to you that this idea of trying to fabricate something about the Lord's resurrection uh, that, that the, the Christian belief and the Christian teaching of the resurrection is not viable, well, it's simply not true. At the bottom there, the teaching concerning the resurrection of Jesus was not something fabricated after his death by his disciples. It was prophesied hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Jesus also on numerous occasions prophesied of his coming death and resurrection. And you can see the references there. There are those who argue that Jesus foretold, uh, foresaw the possibility of his enemies would kill him so he began to Fabricate the story. Well, look over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 was very, very early in the ministry of Christ. And Jesus says something very interesting. In verse 14, and no man ascended up into heaven but he that came down from heaven, verse 13, even the son of man which is in heaven. Have you ever noticed that, uh, I want to chase a short rabbit trail. Have you ever noticed how uh, the uh, omnipresence of Jesus Christ is here? No man has ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He's on the earth, but he's in heaven. Hmm. That's kind of uh, godlike, isn't it? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The argument that he that he fabricated. The story at the end of his ministry it c- cannot stand. His prophecy in John 3.14 came early in his ministry, long before religious, leader or religious leaders organized themselves against him. We also see that such a story was strongly resisted by his disciples. In Matthew 16, and we'll just read what's here, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go in. in unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, those that be of men and so here Peter doesn't want anything to do with some kind of fabricated story that he rose from the dead and uh, he's rebuking Christ what's amazing what's amazing and shocking here is um A man is telling God what to do. None of you ever do that, do you? It ought to be amazing and shocking. All right. Fifth point. The evidence of the apostles change between his death and resurrection. If you look over in the book of Luke, chapter 24, we find a conversation going on. Naturally, it wasn't what they expected, even though we just read how Christ said he was going to suffer and rise again, very specifically. They didn't grasp that. Jesus is risen from the dead. In Luke 24, 13, two men are on the road to Emmaus. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. They came to while they communed together and reasoned Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are those that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him, they knew that there was corruption but we trusted, we, we, we hope, we believe, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. He and a certain woman also of our company made us astonished, which were early in the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Well, you see here that they are discouraged. They're confused. They are uh, not knowing what to make out of it. Later that night, we read, In John chapter 20 and verse 19, that they're in this building with the doors locked. John 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And so they're perplexed. They're talking about it. They're wondering, they're doubting, they're questioning. And here in John 20, they're secluded. In uh, the book of Acts, they're going to be secluded even further. They're called, uh, they, they, they have been uh, beaten they're in, in chapter 4. Uh, they're told not to preach anymore in his name. And uh, in, let's see, let's go to, uh, let's go to uh, Acts 14, I mean Acts 4. Things have come into a head, in Acts 4, in verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And so they told them, Sh- keep your mouth shut, or we're going to deal with you. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God, to hearken to you more than to God, judge ye, for we can not but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then, when we get to Acts chapter 5, and I guess we'll begin in verse 29. Then Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We find, uh, uh, and, and we are witnesses of these things, and, and so it is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Well, What I'm trying to say here is that they were, they were hiding for fear of the Jews. But now, they're standing in front of those who could condemn them to die. I mean, they're standing in front of the authorities. And, the, and they're standing there boldly. And they're saying uh, that we ought to obey him. That you that hung on the tree... Uh, hung him on a tree. He's, he, he's going to preach about the resurrection. And in verse uh, 29, then Peter and the other apostles actually said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew the hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses. And then in verse 33, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And and here's the point uh, that maybe we don't see. Uh, How do you scare someone who's not afraid to die? I guess you could torture them, <laughs> uh, but uh, they're not afraid, and it's not based upon some little uh, charade that they're that they're playing, but it's based upon the fact that uh, Jesus conquered death, and their whole their whole outlook has changed. They were willing to die. And as a note there, these first century believers so strongly believed in the resurrection that they were willing to die rather than deny it occurred. Men will die for what they believe to be true, though it may be actually false. Men do not, however, die for what they obviously know is false. Yet all the apostles and many more disciples gave their lives standing on the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That he died for our sins, that he's actually dead and buried, but that he rose again bodily from the grave. They knew their only hope was in him. They claimed this as they claim his as their Lord and their God. What brought about this great change of heart? Of course it was a fact of the resurrection. And we've already read, but uh, there were a group of people known to have turned the world upside down. And actually, (laughs) this is not very uh, healthy to think about, I guess, but actually if we are going to be used of the Lord to affect our generation, it may only come when we're put in a situation where where we're willing to give our life and not shut up. That we're willing to give our life. That people can see that They're willing to die for what they believe. That um, cotton candy Christianity has uh, facilitated the philosophy of Americans. And so, God may be preparing this world for one last revival, like in the days of Josiah, when they found the book of God in the house of God. And they said, This is true, and we're going to live this. And Josiah, the last great revival in Israel before they went into captivity was with Josiah. Uh, do we really believe in the resurrection? And is it more than just uh, our insurance policy for uh, heaven? The empty tomb. The counter-resurrection of Jesus Christ could have been easily discredited at any moment if the authorities would have brought forth the dead body of Christ. But the fact of the matter is the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. The Jewish explanation for the empty tomb was given to us in Matthew. Let's go over there. Matthew chapter 11, I mean 28, verse 11. Matthew 28 and verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you because their life could have been forfeited. So they took that money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And so I'm sleeping soundly, and uh, I wake up the next morning, and my car has been stolen. And I get on the phone and I call the troopers and I say my car has been stolen and I can tell you exactly who stole it, Brother Wilson stole it. Well, how do you know that? Because he came while I was sleeping. And they would say, "Well, Mr. Humphrey, maybe you should go back to bed. <laughs> what kind of an argument is that? that they came and stole the body while we we're sleeping. Well, it shows you the extent that they would go to to try to discredit. The evidence is supported by uh, the desperate theories that people try to invent. Some suggest that the Jewish, Roman, Jewish and Roman authorities moved the body. But why would they then post a guard? And why would they seal the tomb with a great stone? And why did they not produce the body? Well, because they didn't have the body that he uh, rose from the dead. And then, uh, really, back in, I don't know how long this is, but I remember reading back in the 60s, 70s, I forget the guy who wrote the swoon theory, the book about the swoon theory. Uh, he was a Jewish man. But see, Jesus on the cross, he uh, he lost some blood and he passed out. And when they took him down and they put him in the tomb and he's laying there in the tomb. And in the coolness of the tomb, he revised because actually he didn't die on the cross. He just... Swooned. He passed out, and so he revives. He goes over, and he muscles the door open, and he escapes. The swoon theory. Well, that kind of uh, that kind of goes against the policy of the Roman army. They had to make sure they was dead before they took him down. And they did that, didn't they? they? They poked him with the spear, and blood and water came out. The swoon theory. At the bottom of that page is kind of a commentary on that. that the theory was not dreamed up until around 1600 by a man named Ventuni Ventur, Venturini. Uh, but the idea flies in the face of many eyewitness reports, not only by Jesus' followers, but also by his enemies. The Roman soldiers standing guard over Jesus at the cross were the first to report his death. They were experts at execution and would stand to forth their own lives if they allowed a condemned man to escape death. There were no, they were so certain that he was dead that they did not bother to break his legs. And when the spear thrust brought forth blood and water, then the final proof of this, death, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, with many women, her witnesses, and perhaps as helpers, worked with Jesus' body of an hour or so as they wrapped it in linen spices. They would easily have sensed any spark of life still remaining. For the third to be true, Jesus would have to have survived the massive loss of blood from the scourging, the nail wounds, the spear thrusts, he would also have had to survive being wrapped tightly in the linen cloths that were uh, filled with hundreds of pounds of spices, besides all that extremely weakened condition he would have to endure more than three days and three nights without food and water. Managed to unwrap himself single handedly, roll the stone away from the inside of the tomb, walk out of the unchallenged by the guards. Uh, uh, and then convince his followers that he was actually been dead and were actually raised, he would have had to develop the strength to travel countless miles in that condition to make many appearances to disciples and over 500 people in 40 days. Well, it's just incredible uh, what people will do to try to deny the resurrection. And then there's a hallucination theory. The hallucination theory is saying that they were so grieved and so overwrought because their leader, uh, the one that they put their hope in, had died, that they imagined that they saw him. You know, that's kind of like hunting for moose, and or, you know, and you you uh, if you look at a cow moose long enough, you'll grow some horns on her. <laughs> hallucination theory. That uh, doesn't fly. Uh, this, this maintains everyone who claimed to have seen Jesus simply experienced a hallucination induced by glory and expectation of his resurrection. They so intensely wanted to believe that he would rise again that they imagine they see what is not true. For this to be true, over 500 had to have the same hallucination. And uh, actually... Uh, people didn't believe it. They didn't want to believe it. When Mary Magdalene reported to Peter, uh, he ran to he didn't believe it, you know. He ran to find out for himself. And so, it's foolishness. Okay, what time is it? I didn't bring my. Three minutes? Oh, we got three more points. All right. So, what's the big deal? Well, the belief in the resurrection, how the Christ died for our sins that He's buried and then He rose again the third day. Uh, thou shalt be saved. When, when, If thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in the heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. One of the things you've got to understand about that is not when it says, if, if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord, Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That belief doesn't just encompass the reality of the resurrection. But the belief goes beyond the reality of the resurrection and what the resurrection proved. I believe the resurrection in that I believe that it it proves that the sacrifice was accepted. That my debt was paid. If he was still in the grave, we don't have a savior. And so it's more than just the historical acknowledgement of that, but it's also the spiritual acknowledgement that his death paid for my sin, and that's proven in that he was released from the penalty of sin. He paid the all. He couldn't be held on that anymore. And so that's going to affect me. Belief in the resurrection will cure the sting of death. That when uh, we draw nigh to death, that uh, we need not fear. And, and with, uh, will comfort your heart in, in, um, the death of a loved one. Hearts are always broken when someone you love dies, your parent or your friend. Uh, But the resurrection uh, gets right down to where the rubber meets the road. And one of, the, one of my best friends here in this church over my ministry was a man by the name of uh, Gary Baumgartner. This building is here because of Gary Baumgartner. And he died of cancer. And I was preaching in Oregon uh, when he died. But before he died, the day before he died, I talked to him. He'd been through all kinds of cancer treatments, went to Seattle for cancer treatments, tried everything he could to live, uh, but it wasn't going to happen. And uh, he told me that day uh, that I talked to him, he said, Gene, he said, if I knew that dying was going to be so easy, I wouldn't have fought it so hard. And he died the next day. He died with the confidence of the resurrection. The resurrection matters. It matters what you believe about it. This world, this world is scrambling. People are, you know, I mean, uh, there's no fear of God before their eyes, of course. Uh, It's growing worse and worse. But people, uh, uh, people actually are terrified. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But uh, the resurrection gives us a no-so hope, a confident expectation. And uh, sometimes we just need to get back to the very basics of our Christianity. Because he lives... I'll face tomorrow, because he lives. All fear is gone. Okay? And so you may meet someone, and they may say, well, I don't believe that stuff about the resurrection. Well, what about the, what about the Christian Bible? It survived. What about the Christian day? Do you realize that what a great change took place for people to worship on Sunday? And just challenge them in some of these areas to where you may be able to get a little chink in your armor and give them the gospel. Okay? All right. You're dismissed.